Welcome to the Glasgow Girls Club podcast, where we chat to inspirational folks throughout the city about living their best lives and encourage our listeners to grow and glow. Hello and welcome to the GGC podcast. My name is Laura McGuinness and every week I'm out and about in the city interviewing some inspirational folks for you all. On today's podcast, I catch up with co-founder of Social Bite and all-round inspirational woman, Alice Thompson. Sharing her career history, starting from freezing her studies at uni, to working on the event team for the Scottish Business Awards, to co-creating the most amazing of social enterprises with George Littlejohn, this is one wow woman who has already made massive moves to alleviate social problems in Scotland. Want to find out what's to come for the Social Bite Sleep in the Park event and the We Sleep Out? Discover how the team at Social Bite have welcomed such massive celebs into the cafes and why taking risks alongside a massive hard work, of course, pays off. Then have a listen to this podcast. So hello, Alice. Hi. Thank you so much for being on the GGC podcast. No problem. It's lovely to be on. Oh, thank you. Well, we are here to chat all about you, all about Social mm-hmm. Bite, all about the sleep out and especially the wee sleep out as well, mm-hmm. which is going to be massive this year, I think. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning, Alice, because you've got an amazing story about mm-hmm. like how you initially got into Social Bite, which we all love, <laughs> really love, um, and kind of how you've taken it to this point. So if you don't mind starting from the top. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, so I was in Edinburgh studying event management. Okay. And um, I was like partying very hard. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good it times. was a good time. <laughs> I was also, you know, it's one of those like classic, you're at your most miserable, but you have the most fun because yeah. you're miserable. So you just give yourself a complete car blanche <laughs> so of true. going and drinking. And, <laughs> love and life. Oh, love and life, exactly. Um, so yeah, that kind of, by the end of second year, I started to realise that I wasn't going to be able to pass my exams if I kept going. Because okay. <laughs> um, I went to like one tutorial for consumer law and then had to sit the exam and was like, oh shit, I have to actually, can I swear on this? <laughs> yeah, of course you can. So one tutorial in the whole year. Yeah, I went one tutorial in the whole, in the whole semester, but okay. yeah. And then I went to the exam and yeah, failed. And then I was like, oh crap, I can't like wing it yeah so um then I was speaking to my friend who was leaving uni he was going to freeze his studies which was this whole new thing I hadn't heard about okay and I was like okay so I could freeze my studies yeah go do something else and then if that doesn't work out I can always come back Ah. so um that's what I did I froze my studies and um and I went to try and just find anything working in events because I had been the one thing I was good at with event management was just actually putting on events. Yeah. I just didn't like turning up to class and reading the textbooks. Yeah. So I was putting on events at Cab Fall in Edinburgh, which is like a, a club in Edinburgh. And um, at the student union, like any time they'd let me use it, I would put on, like, I would put on, like, blind date events and oh, have someone cool. pretend to be still a black. <laughs> That's fun. So I loved doing all that. And they were often charity events. And I just loved doing all of that. Um, so I thought, well, I don't really need to be at university for this. I just need to go and like get some experience, yes. work my way up somewhere. And then I found an internship advertised on Dumtree okay. um, with this fledgling events company called Capital Events. And it all looked very official. Um, and the I don't know how many people in Glasgow know Edinburgh, but the address was George Street, which is like the posh street. Oh, of course it is, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, this must be really legit. And then went along for an interview and was just really shocked when Josh came down the stairs and Josh was like, at the time, I think he was like 20, 
23 <laughs> and he was like just growing facial hair still <laughs> you know, I remember it was still like patchy <laughs> and uh, and he looked so young and um and then he like interviewed me in like a cupboard like a like a big cupboard with a window um and and yeah and and, and I was just delighted that it seemed like something I could handle and that yeah. I was going to be able to maybe blag my way through the interview because uh, I just wanted an internship so I could tell my parents like oh yeah I'm, I'm leaving uni but I'm doing an internship yes. like I'm not just dropping out yeah. with no plan um so that was really my only concern I was just really ready to apply myself and I felt like crap if I can't apply myself at uni I'm gonna have to really work hard somewhere to make yeah. something of myself um and I was always really passionate that I wanted to make something of myself I just didn't like any of the usual ways of doing things yes and university and corporates and all of that stuff just didn't really appeal so um so yeah Josh took me on um he said I said at the time it was the best interview he'd ever held and I think he'd been holding a lot of interviews with interns um at the time with like potential interns with (laughs) uni students things so I took that as a massive compliment of course and um so yeah he kind of leveled with me quite quickly once I started working with them and just said you know I kind of basically don't have money to pay anyone. So I'm just starting out in business myself. I've just graduated last year and I'm now trying to, you know, make something of myself. And I just thought I would try and, um, and hire interns for free to do work for me for free for three months at a time. And then I'll give them, you know, the reference. So it was perfect. It was just a really clever way. Like I always joke, like this was like slave labor in Scotland. (laughs) He just figured out this clever way of like, you know, the students get something and I get something, but it's free labor. Yeah. So, um, I was working with him for a month or so before somebody else left who was running one of the events that Josh had committed to doing at the SECC which was called, or which is now just the SEC, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the Scotland Ski and Snowboard Show, which was going to be this big uh, ski and snowboard exhibition. And uh, yeah, the guy that was like meant to be in charge of that left. And Josh was just like, do you want to take it and run with it? And I was like, yes. So that was kind of how our professional relationship became solidified. Like we just worked together really well. Yep. Like we really pissed each other off, but we really pushed each other as well. That's good um, though. Yeah, it was good. A, yeah, and you like, shouldn't be the same person when yes. you're working alongside. You need to be young and yang to yes. be successful. That's exactly you? what I describe Josh and I as a lot of the time. Like, but we agree on all the you know important things yep. usually, and if we don't, then we like we get each other once we have a chat about it. But um. But yeah, that was just such a fun time. And like, we were just working our butts off. We were working like any evenings. We, had. we were also doing like a fortnightly business networking event. Okay. Uh, which went which went really well. I think that was how we survived financially. And eventually I moved in with Josh because we just didn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it was just, it was really fun. So we had the events business and then after the ski show, which we did twice, um, first time we almost went bankrupt. And the second time, we, we just about managed to get to the second time by creating a whole different business for like six months as well, our cash flow. Okay. So it was like we were just rapidly moving, like rapidly doing things to just survive and yeah. protect ourselves and be able to move on to the next stage. And so we got through to the second ski show in, in enough time that, you know, it was really just a cash flow issue. And that issue kind of corrected itself. We knew what we had to do differently for the following year, I think. 
And then shortly after that, we were talking about the Scottish Business Awards. And these were all just events that like Josh had figured out that if you just put the word Scotland or Scottish in the title of an event, people think it's really official. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the government is running yeah. it or something. and or, or something even more exciting than the government because it just feels like really big. Yeah. So the Scottish Business Awards was just, you know, we, that's just the name we gave it. Yeah. And um, we started working on that. Um, but we wanted this keynote speaker from Bangladesh. Uh, who's a, a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Wow. And um, he invented, like, microfinance, which is why he won the Nobel Peace Prize, and that's the whole thing where you um, can invest in some basically somebody poor with no collateral. Yeah. Um, and it's usually done in, like, African, Indian, Bangladeshi okay. um, areas. So it's really people that are very impoverished. And the idea is you give people a small loan, yeah, completely trust-based, and they pay you back. And the loan is usually for something that's going to continue to bring an income for them. So okay. really basic businesses, like like somebody would buy a cheap fridge because they figured out there's a clean water borehole nearby. Mm-hmm. And if they can package them up in these little plastic bags and fill the fridge with them, they can sell cold water to tourists and people going by, which obviously and certainly in those countries that I mentioned, it's always hot. So yeah. people are keen for yeah. for cold water. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, once they have their fridge, yeah. that's everything that they need for that. For that's their a business. really basic model. Yeah. But yeah, so that's microfinance. And it, it was just having these incredible, like 97% repayment rates and so it was like looking at trust-based banking compared to like all the stuff we do in the Western world where yeah. it's like you have to have collateral, you have to have money to get money, you have yeah, to it's show... It's like non-trust-based banking. Completely. <laughs> it's the opposite. And it's so funny because the microfinance banking was having like 97% repayment rates, which are just wildly higher than any yeah. Western bank could dream of. So we were just completely inspired by like, wow, so we should be trusting poor people with nothing yeah. and not trusting people who have all the money and seem to keep buggering up our system. Yeah, yep. um, so that was just a really, like that trip to Bangladesh. We went to Bangladesh basically to to, to turn up in person and, and try and convince him to come and speak at the business awards. Okay. We'd been reading his book, Creating a World Without Poverty. Um, Josh was really into him and... I just, I was just so left. I was so into like anything like this. <laughs> so, um, so we were like, yeah, we should get like all the business people together in one room and only invite like the elite crowd. Like we're not going to just be desperate, kind of get anyone to yep. come to this business event. Like it's going to be the Sir Tom Hunters, the Sir Ian Woods, like yep. the, the proper um, business elites in Scotland. Um, and then we'll sort of wheel out this left wing doing like business completely turning on its head keynote speaker and have him basically like, you know, as everyone's patting themselves on their backs with their champagne for the money they made that year, we'll come out with this really like pensive, profound point about humanity and about doing business a completely different way. And we just, we kind of, we wanted to be a bit rebellious, but we also, because we were young and it was exciting, but also we wanted to kind of, we were like, you know, what's the chances that one millionaire in that room that night hears about something that they hadn't maybe realized about before and thinks huh I might do that I might do that with one of my companies we were like the the positive impact from that would be huge yeah and we knew if we could get Mohammed Yunus in person that he would be so inspiring so that was why we after sort of months of phone calls and trying to get dates from them and and you know they didn't know who we were we were two random young people yeah um we went out there to try and meet with him and and uh, and yeah, like we had him for like five minutes and he was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that date. But the oh. hilarious thing was we had actually printed out 
them in teams because we'd had somebody on the phone at one point who'd be like, yeah, yeah, I think that's good. We're going to be able to do that. But trying to make arrangements with Bangladesh yeah, over the phone, of course, it was so difficult. And, um, you know, sometimes people would answer the phone didn't speak English and we didn't speak Bangladeshi. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there were so many misunderstandings and, and we've got to the point that we're also just we're sort of famously a bit cheeky, Josh and I. So we just went, ah, I reckon they're going to do it. They sound like they're going to do it. Let's just print it. We have to get the material out. We have to get people buying tables already. They'll confirm in a month or so, you know, like for sure, sure, yeah. with a contract or something. Yeah. So it was funny because then once we got the call that was like, oh, yeah, no, we're not sure we can do that. We were like, oh, we've got to go oh, to Bangladesh. Just to chat to the Yeah, guy. just like speak to him in person and be like, so, yeah, basically, can you come? <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, I'm just not in Europe at that time. So I just can't get over there in time. Um, so that was really funny because we were sitting there being like, you know, not saying anything, but being like, we've printed all the materials and sent them out to everyone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had to, again, think on our feet, like, how are we going to not piss all these people off? Like, mm-hmm. the Tom Hunters, the Ian yeah. like, are they not They're going to think we're cowboys, uh, which we were. Um, so they would have been correct. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we knew that we had to, again, think quickly. But it was the Bangladeshi trip because um, we were then there for like five days visiting his projects yep. and meeting people that were beneficiaries of the work they were doing and there were just so many people whose lives have been completely turned around from microfinance and social business being done in this very specific way that Mohammed yep. Yunus was doing it um, being that you know it's called Grameen is like the name of his his um what do you call it? Like easy jet, easy car. Okay. Conglomerate right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Grameen is, the, I think that means a home or to be housed or, yeah, I think it's a home. It means in Bangladeshi, Grameen. And, um, and yeah, we get off the plane in, in Bangladesh, turn your phone on, it's Grameen Network. Okay. So his whole thing is very mainstream, very like competing with the big boys, but serving a completely different um demographic okay so yeah we came back completely inspired by that completely fed up of the events business and wanting to um start our own social business that we were really passionate about but uh we ended up trying to we ended up getting bob geldof to do the keynote speech because Mohammed Yunus couldn't come and you know we just paid his fee to his charity because a lot of these like very charitable celebrities will charge a fee but it's not for them it's for the charity that they fundraise okay so there's still there's clever ways of doing an event that's you know still a hundred percent of the profits go to charity yeah or a hundred percent of the money goes to charity without you know trying to get people for free because celebrities you know when they haven't heard of who you are and yeah you're trying to reach people a lot of the time like you're just you're yelling in a really big crowd so yeah it's worth sometimes just if you think you can get the seats for that famous person, it's worth sometimes taking a gamble, you know, assuming you'll sell enough tables in the room to pay the fee yes. and just signing the contract for the fee to the charity or whatever. That's for me, I just think that was just one of the most genius things that we ever uncovered. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the core um, way that we've done everything that we've done that people are so excited about. Yeah. So that was really the secret right there at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so we just, we knew we had to get somebody that wasn't going to piss off the whole business community when we were replacing Mohammed Yunus. Um, and we thought it was, Mohammed Yunus is less aggressive, but it's the same sort of vibe. It's very yeah. much like, give us your fucking money. Kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Gildorf yeah. is massive yeah. as well. You know, that was a good artist. replacement. His, his speech is still, it's on YouTube. If you type in like Scottish Business Awards Bob Geldof, 
I think it's in like four parts and I've watched it a few times since. His speech is bloody brilliant. Oh, is it? I'll go it was exactly it. what we asked. I mean, for me, it's probably really boring for anyone else, but I'm so interested in social enterprise and using the power of business for yep. good. So he, we asked him to do a talk about that and about social business as Muhammad Yunus had defined it. And he went through all these different sections of society, like government and um, charity and volunteering and uh, corporations. And he talked about why each of those... Well, he just sort of proved in his talk why each of those weren't going to ever be as effective as enterprise could be to solve the world's problems. Yeah. Um, talk about how charity only has one life and social enterprise, like they can use it again and again, they can turn it into more money. And I was just so inspired by the whole thing. So, um, see, that was really the beginning of everything. And we knew by the time that we did the Business Awards, which was only a few months, it was like we did the last ski show in October and we did the business awards in like February or March the following year. So there wasn't much time in between all of this to get everything planned. But we knew by the time that we did the business awards that we were not going to do this ski show anymore. Yep. We're going to sell that. So we sold that to foodies festival. Okay. They were amazing. Okay. Um, so they, their daughter, Lucy, uh, the, the, uh, the couple that run that, uh, their daughter Lucy was actually like a co-founder with us at the very beginning okay. and so her parents were like hmm, we're thinking about expanding our events business and so we were so lucky that they were Brilliant. like we want to like you know take a bet on your uh, you guys's future and bring this into our network for a couple of years with the ski show so um so that was really amazing and then we used all of that money to start the first shop to pay for everything that you know all the branded packaging and the shop refurbishment and the the first couple months probably of groceries and things but it was so expensive it's so expensive to open a shop that looks like you know the shops are really tired now and that's being addressed over the next couple of years but when we first opened the Rose Street shop we were like, this looks amazing. Like, we yeah. were like, this looks so professional. People are going to come in here because it looks like a brand. Oh, um, yeah, because yeah, I worked just around the corner. Did you? Yeah, in I worked Glasgow? in Frederick Street. Oh, in yeah, Edinburgh. in Edinburgh. So oh, I worked cool. there for like six years. So I went into the social bike shop all the time. Oh, my God. And it does look absolutely what brilliant. What were you doing on Frederick Street? I worked in a marketing company. And actually, one of the guys who works for you now, who used to sell the big issue. Colin. Yes. So <laughs> Everyone knows Colin. Every, every, like, we all loved Colin in the office. Yeah. And, like, all, every single one of us was the guy. It wasn't bright purple, was it? Um, Your company? No, it was blue. Oh, okay. Oh, that's uh, funny that you're different Just colours. above Café Rouge. Huh. So that's where we were. Um, and Colin, we chatted about him all the time in the office. We oh. always we always spoke to him because he had such good chat. He was the best. And he would, so we would buy our, his big issue and all that. And then actually, it was only really recently that I seen him and some of your advertising uh, and I thought because we all said that guy is going to he's going to just go somewhere and you'll yeah. be appreciated for what he is as a human yeah totally. um, he's got the most interesting story like he basically spent um like 16 years on a bus driving around the UK like taking loads of acid and going to like turning up in fields and and he basically yeah I guess he just sort of fell into a crazy hippie crowd and yep. they were doing that for a long time and he sort of woke up 16 years later sober and without any resources or any ability to build a life and just had nothing and you know he wanted to change his lifestyle mm-hmm. but he he had nothing and no support and then like a couple of years later we met him 
So, yeah, he was super capable, super, I mean, I'm sure we're all aware that, like, the acid crowd tend to be quite free-loving hippies. <laughs> and, like, he was just very full of love and, like, um, really funny guy. Like, yeah, super capable. Oh, like, yeah. no reason that he should be homeless. Like, yeah. So... Just needed that we support. Yeah. Which is what Social Bite yeah. give. And that's the thing about all of the homeless community is... Most of the people, even the people that you meet or that you see on the streets that look like they're exhibiting really challenging behavior, maybe they're fighting or yelling at each other, any of those people, you take them out of that situation without all of that emotional stress and trauma and the complete lack of stability where they're staying, whose couch they're going to be on, if they're going to be under a bridge, you take them out of that situation, you give them a little bit of consistency Mm -hmm. they will turn things around very quickly yeah but they don't they they need like wraparound support these people because their lives become so completely stripped of any dignity yeah that it's impossible for people you know whenever anyone says things like oh get a job and all of that like or like oh they're just bombs they're just drug addicts I'm like wow you're so naive yeah no idea like what that person's life has gone through to get them to a point that they're on the ground taking drugs. Yeah. And you meet loads of homeless people who don't have any issues with drugs and they're just they're just surfing the waves. Like they're in the system, they're waiting for a house, they're just, you yeah. know, no no rooms in the shelter that night. Like yeah. so yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting hearing these people's stories. And oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. So the the cat coffee shops started the cafes started it so the first one was rose street yes and then where do because they're all around scotland now yeah. in different cities yeah exactly so then we opened on shandwick place which was the second one in edinburgh the yep. second shop and then we opened our central production kitchen in livingston because we knew that we were going to open in glasgow really quickly yeah and we were going to need somewhere to we used to make all the food in this tiny kitchen in rose street and now whenever yep. i pop in and see the guys there i cannot believe we used to produce the amount of food that we used to produce in that in that tiny kitchen, um, but yeah, so we we had to create this whole new structure for the business that we, all the food was going to be made centrally and then driven out every morning to the okay. shop. So it gets made overnight shift and yep. put on the shelves that morning for okay, lunch. lovely. Uh, so it was this whole different like oh man like I mean we had no experience we'd never worked in production kitchens we'd never done any of this so it was hilarious Josh and I just trying to like figure out how a production kitchen might run yeah and like how you rotate food every day and make sure that everything is in the right place so that no old food is ever used yeah when you're employing minimum wage staff because back then we couldn't afford to pay anything more than minimum wage yeah and you know people you you pay like people that kind of money and they don't they're not going to take their job as seriously and have as much pride in what they're doing so it really comes down to like you doing everything to make yeah. sure it goes right and that was so we could open up in Glasgow on St Vincent Street yep and that's a lovely big shop that's our, our biggest one um and then we opened up on Bothwell Street which is just around the corner yep but we realized uh, we've realized over the last couple of years that the Bothwell Street shop is far too close okay. unfortunately the reality is we're not Pret-a-Manger so we can't have two shops that close together and and get by okay so we've shut that shop for now and then we're reopening in Glasgow as soon as we find a decent unit okay we actually arranged to shut Bothwell Street thinking that we had the unit and then once we had the surveyors go in they were like actually you're going to take on a real duff building and you're going to have mm. to replace everything and yeah. that was the only um like contract that we were being offered like lease we were being offered with it was that we would have to take on all the 
things. Issues of it. As yeah, well. I'd yeah. say that would be my a really big lesson Social Bite has learned over the years of opening all these shops that we never had our own surveyor go in. Okay. And what we've ended up doing is you sign a lease, especially when you're sort of a smaller company or you're just starting out, you sign a lease for a building and usually they'll make it so that you take full responsibility for all of the things that have to be. If the wall falls down while you're there, then you have to, you fix, have to the fix the wall. It which is nuts. And so that has cost us ridiculous amount of money because we've signed rubbish contracts with, you know, people that, of course, they don't know that they can trust you financially so yeah, or, or trust you with their buildings when you're lesser known. So I get it why they give you those crappy leases. But yeah. from our point of view, it's really screwed us over a lot. So this time we learned from that. We sent a surveyor okay, in. The good. building was no good. So we're looking again for a really good spot in Glasgow. Um so if anyone hears of anything, yeah, um, absolutely, get in touch with Social Bite. We want a very, you know, um, it, it, we it's always want it to be mainstream. We want to be. Yeah. We'll never be able to park right beside Pret. Yeah. Although we almost did, but yeah, I, ideally we want to be like very in eyesight of that sort of areas yeah. near the big boys or you know I guess the West End in Glasgow is a whole different yeah. scene, absolutely like that. But yeah, so then we opened. Um, Baltimore Street in Glasgow, which we had for a few years, and then we opened in Aberdeen as well. Okay. Um, and then Aberdeen, we discovered that it has a completely different palette to Central Belt, like completely different. Okay. So all the food we were doing at the Central Production Kitchen wouldn't work up there. So the manager ha- has now turned into a deli. It's like its whole own little thing now, oh. um, which just serves services the community as they want to be served yeah. so yeah but the, the Aberdeen shops in the crap space as well so I, we're, I think we're talking about moving that over the next few years okay. as well like we're aware of it's funny because people will meet us and tell us like oh Aberdeen shop you can't find it like that's a rubbish location or whatever and it's like we know we're aware of all those things it's just money and time oh, of and, course like everything yeah exactly exactly and you know you can do the big fundraisers and raise lots of money for like the actual charitable things, but you can't spend that on moving shops. Yeah. So for the limited company that does all the trading, it has a lot slower turnaround in action than than the charity. Than does. the charity. Yeah. And in these cafes and and the coffee shops, you actually give homeless people the opportunity to work, don't you? Which is yeah. amazing because that's given them that stepping stone of feeling like, oh well, I've got a job. They're ready yeah. to kind of get themselves back on two feet, and w- yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So Colin, who you were talking about before, is in our Shandwick Place shop in Edinburgh at the moment. And um, yeah, it's awesome. And I think the really special thing about it is, yeah, yeah, the job and the money, and we're a living wage company now, which we're super proud of. It's like no one is paid less than living wage. Brilliant. But um, yeah, the, the really cool thing about that, yes, it's a job, and, and that's great because they get money and they can sort themselves out with housing, with, they, with our resources and support. But um, the really cool thing, I think, is the social aspect of working, like the the socialising that yep. people get. So, you know, and the staff are incredible. Like the, the staff that work in the cafes, they're the people that, you know, like people think of Josh and I and think, oh, you guys do such amazing things. But I'm not, you know, with the homeless community every day. Josh is not with the homeless community yep. every day, you know, tolerating difficult behaviour, um, you know, rewarding good behaviour you know, serving people food, keeping them company, learning their names, taking care of them. Like if someone comes in with a bust eye, like they're going to, they're not going to let them just walk out like that. And that that's not part of their job description. That's yeah. just the way the cafes have evolved and the kind of people that come and work for us. And 
you know, they get to know their names to the point that if they don't see someone that day, they're like, oh, I didn't see Ronnie today. I wonder if Ronnie's right. I must look out for him tomorrow. They start looking out for these people. Okay. So I think that's a really beautiful environment in general. But those staff, those same staff are also people that work with people who are strugg- have struggled with homelessness and are now in their environment and, you know, are probably going through challenging lives of their own while they're in a period of transition. And they're the people that really, you know, end up becoming a support system. And you, maybe they go for a drink after work or if they have issues with drinking, then they go bowling sometimes. Yep. And it just creates this whole sense of having a life. Yeah. Like you go somewhere every day and instead of sitting on the floor and being ignored and saying, if you've got any change, please, and being ignored over and over again, you're going somewhere and like chatting to someone about your night and hearing about their life and seeing pictures of their family on their phones. And before you know it, like people start feeling included yes so it's really it's not always just that easy but it's a really special thing like that employment thing encompasses so much yeah oh it really really does mm-hmm. gives people a sense of pride as well doesn't it when they feel like they're they're working just like other people as well yeah. um we were actually i was in vesta oh yeah last last weekend yes uh, which is the the restaurant in collaboration with social yeah Bite and yeah it used to be home and then it changed and at first people thought oh no homes closed like social bites not doing that restaurant anymore. no like it's still it's still, still yeah in relation with us it's just a different name different restaurateur and he wanted to change the way that it looked and stuff it looks so beautiful right oh, now. oh it's amazing and the food is really really amazing oh, as well amazing. it's so good so well my husband and i shared because we always kind of do like some greedy i like to try and have <laughs> as much as i can so we yeah. shared the fish and chips and we shared the vesta burger nice amazing that sounds awesome that's Very like my favorite kind of food yeah loved it loved it and, <laughs> and they have like really amazing vegan options and stuff they as really well, do which was like really like i was surprised to read the vegan options like oh i actually quite fancy that yeah which is really <laughs> which is really essential now isn't it because yeah. veganism is really getting bigger and On bigger rise, yeah. and even people that aren't vegans they like to they like to dip in and out it make sure they're maybe having a couple of meals a week which are so it was brilliant and i love the pay it forward thing Oh, cool! So you saw it yeah, all. That's yeah, yeah. So they pay it forward. So explain to us what the that is because it's brilliant. Yeah. So we started this in the cafes, and Vesta um, do the same thing, and and also Vesta hosts um, a sit down meal for the homeless community every Monday as well. Which is brilliant. Um, yeah, exactly. And and they try and provide training opportunities as well. So when people, you know, maybe someone's worked in the cafe for a while and they want to go and learn some kitchen skills in a restaurant, which is kind of like you know a slightly more fine dining experience. Yes. Um, so yeah, the pay it forward thing is you can come in um, to any social bite store or if you're sitting in the restaurant at Vesta and you can pay it forward, you can do like a hot drink, a sandwich, well, you know, sort of a, a lunchy item that'll yes. cover like wraps and baguettes and things too, um, or a hot meal. Um, you can pay that forward and we pop the post-it note up on our community board and then uh, members of the homeless community can come in uh, anytime, take the post-it note that they want yep. and that pays for their for their food Brilliant. so it's as simple as that and um and it's genius because people you know people often say I don't want to give somebody who looks homeless uh, money yeah but I would give them food and so I think it just it's a really clever way of getting around that yeah uh, I think the homeless community still, still do need money regardless of if they're going to spend some of it on their alcohol or their drugs or their cigarettes they also are human beings that need money to survive yeah but it's a really good way of knowing that the money that you're giving is contributing to the food element that you'd hoped so yeah. um yeah so it's uh it's awesome and they they're doing a really good job of it at Vesta just now and and that's kind of what um helps us fund so much of the work that we do as well like uh the suspended, uh, not suspended, sorry, the social suppers yes. and the social scran. 
those are events that we hold like every weeknight after the cafe's shut. Okay. Um, and they're exclusive events for the homeless community to come in, sit down, be waited on, um, meet support workers, find out where they can get clean showers or clothes washed or support with mental health issues or assistance trying to figure out the housing system and how to get on a list. Yeah. Um, we have like all of the all of the right people at those events so that they can find out anything that they need to, but also they can just build relationships and have a bit of a chat and be recognized. And, you know, they spend their lives like sleeping in shop doorways yeah. and being told to move on and then being told by police, you can't sleep here, you've got to move and... So for them, I think um, just having somewhere that's their space that they can yeah. come and sit down for an hour or two, um, yeah, just feel like you're on a high street. You're not you're not in some church, which obviously church halls are wonderful when yeah. they do those things, but you feel like you're not in with the um, the homeless label that we stamp yeah. on their heads. Yeah. You're being treated kind of like people on a high street location by other people that are, you know, just happy to sit and chat to you. No, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And talk to us briefly about the corporate catering, because oh, yeah. that's such a good option for that's people who want option. to... Yeah. yeah. So, like, actually, the the limited tra- the trading arm of Social Bite, which is the cafes and the yeah. catering, the, the biggest income is the corporate catering. Yeah. Um, so that's actually a huge part of what we do, and it's one of the lesser-known parts of what we do. Um, but yeah, so any company can order lovely, delicious food. It's like the same price or a bit cheaper than you'd get from Pret, yep. and um, it'll get delivered to your office. We do every, we do everything. The canapes, do the, the menu is amazing. Sandwiches. I was looking at like it the other it. day for an event, cool. and it's it's really, really like it see, like seems really like luxe food. Oh, honestly, that's awesome. Yeah, I love the that's menu. Amazing. Was that what on the website or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I downloaded the PDF great. of it, and it was brilliant. So I'll post the link to that. Cool. But yeah, the menu yeah. is great, and that's such a good way to support. Companies, and us. you can give give back. It's yeah. like you're 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 getting what you need for your event or whatever you're doing, but yeah. you're also giving back. Yeah. So absolutely, absolutely. I, it's just such a good way. It's such an easy way for anyone to fill up their CSR a little bit. Yeah. Um, or even just like be a human being and be yeah. like, oh, I want to support like a local smaller company that are also a social enterprise that are hiring and feeding and supporting and housing homeless people. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That was a mouthful, but you nailed it. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> um, so talk to us then. So this is all brilliant. And then the idea for... The, 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 oh, the sleep, oh, the out. sleep out yeah. because that because that then led on to the did you're so on it you're oh, like I'm taking just, me through I'm, this like, chronologically I'm obsessed with you guys so <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's like the, the sweetest <laughs> best news um, yeah so we came up with sleep in the park a couple of years ago or three years ago now um we so we discovered through so we'd we'd been funding um academic research we'd asked a university to look into like how, how do we really end homelessness in Scotland's four yeah. largest cities? Like, if we were going to really embark upon actually ending it, what are the tried and tested and proven yeah. ways to do that? Um, and what came back was this housing first stuff, um, which is a new housing policy. I probably don't have time to go into it on this podcast, but anyone just Google housing first. Yeah. It's, there's like a really great little YouTube cartoon, two minute long thing that explains how it works. Okay. It just kind of turns the housing system on its head. It says everyone is entitled. It says shelter is a human right. Food, water, shelter. Yeah. And so therefore you shouldn't have to prove that you're homeless. You shouldn't have to prove that you're sober. You shouldn't have to prove that you're employable. The question should be, 
are you a human being? Are you homeless? Okay, then you're entitled to safe accommodation. Yeah. That's permanently yours, somewhere you can settle, rather than living this chaotic lifestyle of moving around constantly yep. until you find something. So um, that's the housing first thing briefly. And it basically works by giving people a house immediately. Yeah. And then giving them lots and lots of support. And the way the support works is also done differently. So it's sort of... Uh, it's the it's participant driven okay so the person that's you know was homeless and is now taking part in the housing first accommodation they pick what they want to work on and as long as they're engaging in support with the support workers it's always up to them and the support workers can try and point out things that they might want to work on but ultimately the decision always is with the person participating yeah which is just a whole different way than saying you know here's a model that fits everybody this is what we do you fill in that form you be at this place you meet us at the courthouse that day and we'll let you know if you're going to have access to this thing because for a lot of these people that's a lot of information some of them don't have anywhere to sleep no alarm clock they might they might be struggling with drug addictions that they're just not going to be on this planet to you know turn up to those things yeah some people can't read and write properly so all of the the way the system works is designed by people like us yeah for people who have not grown up most of the time in the same sort of environments that we have so it's not designed by the people that need it Housing First kind of turns everything around and gives them all of the power and the control. And and it's, you know, people can say that's a bad idea, but the statistics are that it is just revolutionarily uh, Working. successful. Yeah. yeah, like 97% reduction in homelessness in the areas that they that they put this housing policy Which in. Which is massive. Place. That's massive. It's massive. It's, it's, again, it's like that social enterprise microfinance things, like that shouldn't work, but it really, yes. really works. Yeah. Yeah, it's about empowering people, I suppose, isn't it? And, like... The thing about people is nobody wants to have a crap life. No. But they have to fall on their you have to fall on your own sword yeah. to know what that feels like. Because if something is something else something is something that <laughs> if something is something that someone else has told you to do, yeah. you're so much less invested in it. And there's like a basic psychology thing of about course. your brain, the way your brain works. It yeah. doesn't respond well to being told what to do. No, people go the exact opposite. It's yeah. like when you're grown up, your mom yeah. tells you to do something, you're like Pff. Yeah, never doing that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's the same. Like when it you're an adult, same. it's just if you make it decide yourself, you're going to put so much more effort. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that that's what this housing policy does. So so we found out about this housing policy, and we were like, whoa, this is and you know, and it saves you loads of money on taxes because you spend like most of our tax money goes to like hospitals, prisons, like yeah. police work. These are all things that largely are taken up by the homeless community people getting in trouble people being lifted for drinking on the street yeah. and you know it costs sixty-seven thousand pounds a year for us to incarcerate one person incarcerate, sorry one person wow so if you can actually support that person in accommodation which costs about seven grand a year mm-hmm. then that's wildly less than that person ending up in prison or using the a and e services yeah or you know a- any of these other things that we spend so much money on so um, it's actually proven to to save tax money as well. Um, so, yeah, we found out about this and we were like, this is a win-win. Um, yes. And that's when we did Sleep in the Park. So we invited thousands of people to come and sleep out and we raised first year just over £4 million. And, um, and then, yeah, the, the government were like, hey, like, what is it you guys want to do? And we spoke to them about Housing First and they were like, yeah, we're aware of it. This is something that we'd really love to do. 
we would wanting to do it anyway, mm-hmm. but this has really, you know, this public attention and this money that you've raised is a really tangible way for us to move into this now. So we're working in partnership with the Scottish Government now. We're implementing that housing policy. We found 830 homes, which is quite a significant dent for rough sleeping because this mm-hmm. housing policy is particularly aimed at rough sleepers. It's okay. not the one-stop shop for solving all homelessness because the majority of homelessness is hidden homelessness. It's mm-hmm. not on the streets mm-hmm. and it's complex. Um, but this is specifically people in the very worst circumstances. That that's the people that it's proven to be most effective for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, 5,000 rough sleepers, give or take, on any sort of night in Scotland. And you so, managed to get 830. That's yeah. almost a fair. Yeah. And the idea is that it's not going to end homelessness immediately. It, it does for that 830 people in Scotland. Mm-hmm. But it, the idea is that we can then prove that that works. We earn more credibility with the government. Mm-hmm. We earn more credibility with the public. And whether that's that we go back and we ask for more housing first at some point, if we prove that it works, or whether that's we find a different way of working with a different sector of society mm-hmm. to benefit and support the homeless community in a really brilliant way, you know, we'll keep investing in research to make sure that we're keeping up on it and, and trying these things. But it's expensive work because Social mm-hmm. Right likes to do these big things. Yeah. And um, we want to have big impact very quickly. So we've gotten very good at fundraising over the years and yep. the public have been incredible. Um, it's amazing how people have just kind of realised there's something special about social bite. Oh, yeah. We're real doers. And I love yep. that people kind of give us that trust and and hopefully we keep demonstrating that yeah. we're, we're using that money wisely and that we're really making a change. So... So the 830 homes will be completely occupied within the next like year or so now. And um, and then on to the next thing. So we had Sleep in the Park again last year. Yep. We did it in different cities. We knew that we'd have a drop off in the number of people that were going to take part in the Edinburgh one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to open up to other cities to try and keep the momentum of having just as many people. We ended up with more. That's um, brilliant. I think, I think 10,000 was how many people there. That's so with. good. And you actually like helicoptered the entertainment around the cities, yeah. didn't you? It's ma- like such a massive undertaking. Yeah. Absolutely. Like logistically, like for that event absolutely and we had to lean on um like our external consult- consultants um unique events mm-hmm. and they would do like the hogmanay parades and things in in edinburgh and so they're really experienced at holding big events and yep. manning them and security and all of that stuff so they they kind of uh held our hands through it as well good but really like the team in the office um my boyfriend jamie and rachel um really good friend uh they're just unstoppable. Like Wow. That you would have to be to be doing such massive yeah. things. Well, Josh has the brilliant, like crazy ideas and somehow pulls them off. And it's these people working directly below him that have to figure out how to make the impossible possible. Um so it's it's amazing to watch them. Yeah, job satisfaction must be high yeah. in the social bite office. I think yeah, <laughs> I think you're bang on actually. Yeah, it's really it's it, for a long time at the first few years it was a really difficult place to work because we were expanding so fast and mm-hmm. we didn't know how to run a business and yeah. what the laws were and you know, we didn't we just didn't freaking know we were kids. So as it's expanded, we can't, you know, continue that way and we've gotten really amazing people like our new CEO, Jane Bruce and our chair, our chair lady or chair, I think you just call it, um, Roz Sherry, and they've just come in and, and put all of the support around us, you know, from the board level to the senior management now at Social Bite. And, um, and now it's just this amazing place to work with like flexi hours and support 
constantly for all staff, not just the homeless community. And yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's yeah, really a great place to work now as well. Amazing, amazing. And you create. You went on to create after the first sleep in the park, yes. the village, which I went to, which was just oh, you came lovely. On the, was that yeah, good? at the launch. Yes, yeah, amazing. it was. It's, it's got such a lovely energy about yeah. it. But talk to us about that because I know that that's really helping. Is it eleven? Yeah. Uh, 20 20 that's yeah. that's incredible I think it's got 19 at the moment I, or no 18 maybe and and then there's one house at the moment that's free and that's because we have 24 7 support on site yeah so that person can sleep in that spare house um so yeah so the village was just a beautiful idea which was initially criticized by the rest of the homelessness sector um but yeah we were able to prove with academic research that it is a good way to support mm-hmm. people. And uh, and now we've got the proof of the people that are actually living there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just had like, I think six is what I heard a, cu- a few weeks. I've just been on holiday for a couple of weeks. So I've been out of the loop. Um, I got back like two days ago. But the last thing I heard was that six or seven of the community members had just found permanent homes and were moving out. Oh, wow. I mean, um, that's the that's the total objective, isn't it? That's the total objective. Yeah, we yeah. want it to be like a conveyor belt. Like we yeah. bring people in, we give them the support they need. We open up their options for employment. And because it's Social Bite, we have corporations and colleges that are willing to yeah. work with us for free and offer opportunities. So we offer these people this opportunity and this support, and then we try and help them find permanent housing so that they can move out of the village. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea is trying to get these people to feel independent and empowered to, to yeah. live their own life so they don't have to lean on the support. Um, so, yeah, if we can have people move out, to a successful, yeah, a more successful lifestyle. You know, it's just the next step of their journey. Yeah, but then we can bring in more people who are in a desperate situation and and throw the support around them too. And so yeah, that's that's the dream with the village, and it is just beautiful. Like all the houses are different colors, and it's got beautiful gardens, and it looks over the sea. Yeah, just down it's in Grantham in Edinburgh, and it's yeah, it's it's wicked, amazing. So for people listening as well, because you do something whereby people that have got businesses they can ask a homeless person to come and work for them yeah there's a scheme which is brilliant exactly that you can pledge i think it's on our well i assume it's on our website i never go on social bites website so i don't know it was because you're so busy running about Uh, maybe maybe i like that excuse it's because i'm so busy running around no it's um i I just the website was just crap for years so there's just no point in going on it and i think we're it's it's been like worked on um chipped away at now over the last little while by louise who's amazing um at the office um but yeah so i ha- so i don't know what the uh if it's still on the website but i assume it is that you can go and pledge your support so yeah. that might be yes we have a job you know maybe yeah. there's a filing job somewhere that yeah. someone could come and do um or maybe it's something yeah but whatever whatever people have the, the job opportunities yeah yeah which is brilliant so last year for the um sleep out you introduced yeah. another sleep out so talk to us about that so this is my favorite this is my project um and it's just oh it's like I, I'm always I say to Jane um our CEO I always say to her like it's the gooey stuff it's, it's all the special <laughs> stuff <laughs> um that's my favorite so um after the first sleep in the park event I met a couple of kids Josh and Rory um and 
they were really gutted that they couldn't come sleep in the park. They'd seen all the advertising. They cared about homelessness. They really wanted to come to this big exciting event with yep. the, you know, the performers and all of that. And they felt really excluded. Okay. And it's, you know, because they're too young. They yep. were like, oh, I mean, Josh at the time must be four. Oh, wow. And Rory would be maybe eight or nine. Okay. And so um, they're the cutest kids and the loveliest kids. And um, so they, so they were like, well, basically like well up for organizing a sleep out at their school or something. Okay. And they were like, why didn't we just get asked to like do our own thing on the same night or whatever? So uh, then I just realized like this is this whole untapped resource for social yep. bite. Like our demographic has always been kind of business people because yep. they come into the cafes for their lunch and students don't have any money, so we don't park up their <laughs> universities. Um, so yeah, it's always like well, our demographic. Like, if you look on our Facebook, like at all the people that follow us or like us or whatever it's called, um, it is like mainly sort of middle-aged women like yeah. love us and donate to us and follow us on social bites, social media, and things. Um, so yeah, this is like a whole opening up a whole different demographic of of people who kids who basically, especially outside of Edinburgh, I think we're most known in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and outside of Edinburgh, most kids don't know what social bite is. Um, but they would be really excited to help homeless people yep. and sleep out in a church hall or a school hall or in their school um, grounds or in their back garden or their living room floor. Yep. They just want to like do fun stuff together yep. that's a bit fun that they can raise money as well. And so, um, so I decided with the with the inspiration from Josh and Rory really, um, and as ever guidance from Jane and. Um, and all of that, we decided to do something called the We Sleep Out. Okay. That was going to be um, for under 18s, and they can go and organize their own sleep out. We're going to provide loads of resources. Um, I'm going to travel around Scotland doing workshops at schools and youth groups. Um, and yeah, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. We only had like two months. We, we launched it at the end of August. And the event was set to take place a month before Sleep in the Park last year, which was November. Okay. So they really, they had, it was like right at the beginning of November, so they really had two months. Yeah. You know, September and October were really it. Yeah. To sign up, plan it, you know, have a workshop from us. So we were just flat out those couple of months. Me and Rachel and Gemma um, were the team last year. And we drove all over Scotland. Like, we were up in the Highlands. I grew up in Dornoch. Okay. So we were up in Dornoch on the east coast and now above Inverness. This year we're going up to the Orkney Islands Amazing. to do three days of workshops at each of their islands and everything. So there is nowhere that's too far out of the way. Yep. We had a wee sleep out happen in Stornoway. And then, of course, most of them happen in Central Belt. But yep. we would go anywhere and we'd, we'd teach um, any group. It could be a bunch of eight-year-olds. It could be a bunch of 15-year-olds. Yep. We adapt the workshop for the age group and we teach them about homelessness how the system works we teach them some of the stories from people that have come work with us you know this is how this person ended up in a position of homelessness and this is the work we've done with them they love that story like every no matter what age group even like the terrible 14s (laughs) you can hear a pin drop when we're telling the stories about the some of the homeless people that came and worked with us and are no longer um homeless yeah and we also try and empower them. So we show them, like, this is how Social Bite, we kind of lift the veil, as I've done on this yes. podcast. We say, this is how we've done everything at Social Bite. And did you realize it's sort of that easy? It's not easy. It's really hard work. But it is also sort of that oh, easy. Oh, yeah, but you know? you've shown, you've shown, like, look at what you've done. Yeah, you just set your intention. Yeah. And then you agree to yourself that you're going to work as much as you have to make that thing happen. And you, it just kind of, 
for us, we've been probably very lucky as well, but it, it's really worked. So we're trying to sort of inspire this next generation as well to realize that they could start a social enterprise about whatever they care about. So yeah. we do little session on what they care about and then we have them brainstorm a social enterprise that could tackle that problem and then we give them resources from um so uh, scotland's enterprise academy or social social enterprise academy okay um i know sea so i always get confused if it's scotland or social and we give them resources so that if they do decide they want to do that idea or maybe it just inspires them to think outside the box when they're leaving uni that maybe they would move into a social enterprise rather than, than corporates all the time, which yeah. are corporates we also need. Corporates have enabled, you know, so much of the work that we do yeah. with their donations and their support. But um, yeah, it's great. It's great to go into schools and see kids and teenagers actually looking inspired yeah. by what we're doing. And we win a lot of credibility because we have photos with celebrities and we have cool videos that they would yes. see on social media. So yeah, we most of the time we manage to win over the the group that we're there with, and um, we leave feeling usually full of utter joy and um, inspired and and hopeful about the future because teenagers these days and kids actually as well are so socially aware. Yep. And I realized over the year last year of like traveling around and meeting these kids and teenagers that like they're they're almost more compassionate really than adults are yeah because we get used to it yeah and you've not had that like life experience which has maybe dragged you down exactly. or you've not had, you're you're still feeling you're not tarnished by magic life. impossible yes <laughs> <laughs> magic impossible exactly yeah. that's like, the best description mm. ever for what this program is to me and it doesn't raise as much as sleep in the park um but that's because we don't put minimum fundraising limits on it so yeah with sleep in the park you had to pay like 50 quid to sign up because yeah. we needed to you know no, hold spaces for people because there was a physical capacity yes um and then you had to fundraise up to 100 um to make the rest to kind of come along for the night with the we sleep out the idea is any socio-demographic background can take part even if they can't raise any money We'll still go do a workshop. We'll educate them. We'll empower them to raise awareness. Oh, yeah. um, if they're aware of what's happening and how it can be different, then they can go and make the change in the future as well. So it's still valuable. Um, so, yeah, we raised, I think, 100, about 110,000 last year. But, you know, we did it with two months. We had 5,000 kids. Yeah, 5,000 of them went out and organized their own sleep outs and got sponsored and raised 110 grand in two months. So... This year we're, we're launching, launching today. Okay, we're launching today. <laughs> um, Amazing. So the public, the website is up and it's like you can do it with a school or youth group, but any parent can just do it at home as well. So you can just turn a weekend sleepover and something more fun. And we give all the resources. There's going to be an online workshop this year as well. Um, we've got loads of great resources on the website this year. We've got fundraising tips and we've got event guides and we've got like example activities laid out from how things went at the most successful sleep out event last year and so it's really it's so exciting exciting. and they were like I got I had um I had one of the kids from um one of the high one of my favorite high schools that I go into um James Gillespie's high school in Edinburgh because they're just lovely lovely kids lovely staff and they put on the biggest one so I was really lovely I had one of them text me the other day I think the teacher must have given them my number because me and her have become friends and we whatsapp all the time and uh, I had one of them text me the other day saying oh I want to put on this event for global warming and I want to get like a good act like how to go about doing that so I'm speaking to her on the phone tomorrow and I just love that now I have like this relationship with I I love my job now yeah that I can help other young people do things and 
so yeah so there's all of that gooey stuff about Louise Sleepout as well and we're going to do it again this year and you know I know that there's other social enterprise things like there's YPI which is amazing that's in schools and things such as Youth Philanthropy Initiative I think that's Ian Wood's thing um and they're great as well um but this is really complementary to all of that and this is the approved activity provider this year for Duke of Edinburgh um and yeah it's kind of the I think because social bite is special and our energy and our we can do anything we want energy that's infectious and I want to spread that around Scotland oh absolutely I mean Mm -hmm. and you're, you're absolutely doing it like it's absolutely it's so good so it's launching today Yes, the sleepout. So I can post any of the links or anything oh, yes. um, as well. Yeah, which is great. And the the big sleepout that's happening again. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So this year, <laughs> this year, um, Josh decided to take sleep in the park and go global. So we have jokes <laughs> in the boardroom. We're like, okay, well, unless we decide to do the universe sleepout next year, <laughs> this is really, really the biggest thing we could do ever, right? Like every year, we think that it's the biggest thing we could ever do. So this year, it's the world's big sleepout. And the idea is um, sleep in the park worked so well, mobilized so much action, brought about so much goodwill and real, real money to throw at the problem and address the issue um, that we decided to give the concept to every other country in the world, Mm -hmm. make it available. And then the funds will be split. So 50% of the money that they raise will go to a local homelessness charity to make change wherever they are. And 50% of the money, the other 50% of the money that they raise will go towards global refugee, people who have been globally displaced from their home. So um, it's a massive push this year. I think they want 50,000 people taking part globally. And we've got London and... um, London and New York are two flagship events that we're running. Yes. And then we've got all of these other cities signed up. I wish I knew more, but again, because I've been on holiday for a few weeks, I'm a bit out of the loop. But I know that they've got lots of cities in the US and Spain and there's like strange places like Ukraine and, and India that yeah. have signed up lots of cities. And um, and so, yeah, the idea is that we, we give them this big event pack, kind of like the We Sleep Out, but globally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we try and mobilize funds for them so that they can use the the concept way that we have done to to better their environment. I'm so. just like it's proper wow. So you literally <laughs> you made such a difference in Scotland and now such a difference for the rest of the world as well. I, I really hope I really hope that we have and that we are making such a big difference in Scotland. I'm I really want that. For, oh, of course yeah. I mean you've got the evidence to prove it. Yes. Yeah. You know it's going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think starting with school kids is genius yeah. as well because yeah. like you say they are so much more conscious of yeah. social issues and different things and so they will be the people that then go on yeah. to join social bite or to totally. do their own social enterprise and that's when you get all of the, the the inspiration for what you want to do going forward like I remember my sort of what is he like a second uncle or I suppose he's not anymore well my my not blood uncle yeah um his brother <laughs> does a um does something called Peace One Day, which is this amazing initiative where he sort of travelled the world and met with um, all of these, you know, like Dalai Lama and... Oh, wow. Um, oh, I can't believe I've forgotten the, the leader of the UN from a few years ago's name. Um, it's totally just spit out of my brain right now. But, yeah, he met with all of these incredible people and decided to establish a national day for peace. Okay. Because if there's a day of it in the calendar, yeah. then it might just enable some amazing things so they've done things like they've had um gangs in like the south sudan 
like declare that they will also commit to the day of peace and like put down their weapons for the day to allow them to rush in aid and immunize children in that area and get back out on the same day and then they continue with their wars and things which obviously the wars is awful but the children need immunized and they mm -hmm. these these areas need resources um mm -hmm. so he was starting this whole incredible thing which is still running and he's had like I'm surprised it's not kind of more famous in Scotland because he's he's had like amazing events at like fundraisers and things at the Royal Albert Hall with Annie Lennox mm -hmm. and Ben and Jerry from Ben and Jerry's wow. and Jude Law and all of these people really support it. I think Angelina Jolie and she's in the videos and so yeah, um I, I saw this video about peace one day when I was about fifteen, sixteen, and I had goosebumps all over me and it was right around the time of Live Eight. Okay. Bob Geldof had yeah. just done again. So I was really at the time, like I was getting all of this input into my brain of that sort of stuff. And I would say it's down to those two mm. things that's made me really go forward wanting to like do something that's going to help people, but that's also kind of cool and yeah, fun to be involved It's totally in. shaped your, your future. It yeah. really has. And so now I'm like, oh, that's important. Like I was quite a lost child. Like I could have been really academic and smart if I applied myself, but I just didn't apply myself ever. So I wasn't really... Yeah, I was just a bit lost at school. But and, look at um, what you've achieved, though. It just shows yeah. you, though. Like, it just shows you that that route, the academic route, just isn't for everybody. Absolutely. But you have achieved, like, absolute wondrous yeah. things. Yeah, I think if you can work hard, I think, I think if you've got good intentions and you work hard, then things will always come good. And um, and I just really hope that we can. I can now start to like, put a bit of that back to kids that are maybe around the same age, maybe even younger, and the cool thing about doing each year is I get to come in the following year and see them again. And I'm building a little, I'm building a little army of young people that I meet for coffees and things just Aww. because it's nice to keep up with them. And their parents and I will meet with the kids and we'll have hot chocolate and hear about their latest fundraising activities or we'll maybe just hear about their latest like beavers group, like what they did at their, I just love it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Great. It's so, so amazing. I'm the luckiest person on the planet. Oh, and how good to see, be able to see that about your job. Yeah. Like, that is just, yeah. that is just what people strive for, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So if we could end then, you mentioned that one of the kids had asked you for direct advice on how to kind of snag a superstar, if you like. Yeah. So Social Bite have like really done that yeah <laughs> like, yeah like, I was gonna say I almost completely forgot I think um it'll, it'll be okay to say that we've had very good feedback from David Williams people so what? we're not really gonna officially you know put that out until October but I don't think it matters if we say that David Williams will probably hopefully be doing the bedtime story for the We Sleep Out this year which will be a video of his reading of one of his kids books probably Mr Stink and uh, that's the video that we'll send around to to the schools and things and oh I mean but that I mean that in itself is is incredible how um, how do you then how do you get these because there's, there's yeah. been George Clooney Leo there's been Megan and Harry yeah yeah potentially Rob Brydon, I mean Barnes. the sleepouts Rob Bride and David Brown John Cleese yes like and then you, yeah, you had last year it was Urban Welsh doing the baby yeah wasn't it yeah. and I mean it's just it's, it's been incredible. It's so cool. I think that's the fun, exciting thing. I think the thing is that sometimes we forget in life that doing fundraising or doing good for people doesn't mean you can't have some fun. Yeah. And you need to remember why you're doing it. You don't want to make it kind of a, dis a distasteful event. Yeah. And, you know, so we're careful about that. It's, you know, the sleep the sleep out events are always dry events. There's no alcohol. Yeah. It's lights out at 11. You are really there to sleep for the night in the cold, not to be a piss up and be dancing all night. Yeah. Um. 
But, you know, if you put a little bit of sugar in with the medicine, it's amazing how much more impact you can have. Yeah. And it's more fun for us to do, let's face it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's great. So how we get celebrities and things. The business awards I was talking about yes. has really been, like, the, the crux of a lot of that. So... We would, after the Bob Geldof year, when we had to get him instead of Mohammed Yunus, yep. we, the first year, I'll tell you exactly how we've done all of it. The first year, <laughs> we spoke to the Clinton Foundation, the year that we had Bob Geldof speak at the Business Awards. And okay. we ran that event for five years, even once we had the Social Bite cafes open. Okay. So we were very busy people. Okay, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, we were at the time a lot busier, probably. But um, so that year, the first year, we spoke to the Clinton Foundation, and Josh said, what do I need to give the Clinton Foundation to secure a prize from you, which would be like spend the afternoon with Bill Clinton? Right. And this is, you know, for the elite business crowd, so I'm not going to throw him in with any old uh-huh. person. It'll be somebody who's probably met before. But, like, you know, you have to auction off prizes at a charity auction like that that rich people couldn't just go out and buy. Of course, because they can't buy, of course. Yes. So um, the Clinton Foundation said, well, I'll tell you what, if you raise, if you split the money from that, prize that you auction off mm-hmm. with us and you reach 60 grand meaning that we get 30 mm-hmm. then that will secure an afternoon or something of its time and that that money comes straight to the clinton foundation mm-hmm. so the following year we had a contact in the clinton foundation's office and we got in touch and we said what would we have to do to get bill clinton to come here and be the keynote speaker and they were like, well, that's a much bigger fee, but it's all for the Clinton Foundation again. Yeah. So we took a bigger haul. We sold more tables. We paid. The, we made the Clinton Foundation one of the main beneficiaries of the event, as well as other charities, which I forget now that long ago which ones it was that year. But, um, And yeah, we paid the fee to the Clinton Foundation for his time to come and do the evening. And after that, it's a lot easier to get Richard Branson, who was the third one. <laughs> and after that, it was easier to get. And these are all paying their charities mm-hmm. to come and do it. So it's not paying the celebrities but that's how you that's how you really get seen by these people is oh yeah I'm going to pay their fee to the charity because yeah they you know these celebrities usually have a certain quota they have to fill with the charity for how much money they're going to make sure they bring in that year and things like that so then we had George Clooney then we had Leonardo DiCaprio it just kind of went up and up and um and all their charities are always so interesting it's so interesting to find out about them like George Clooney was traveling through South Sudan and realized that there were international war crimes being committed against their people. And when he spoke with the UN about it, they were like, well, I guess there's no way of us ever really knowing. I don't know if it was the UN or the people in South Sudan that told him that they they were like, you know, there's no satellites above this area of the world. No one knows what's happening down Mm. here. It's completely hidden. So George Clooney, Clooney started Not On My Watch. And he put a satellite above the South Sudan and pays for it every year. So he does events like what we were doing to fund that. So it's just this amazing little, like, do good, give, giving yeah. thing. So that's how we had all of those celebrities. And we just tied into their contracts. You know, we have them for the day, really. So we're like, okay, and while they're here, they have to come visit this random cafe where we yeah. have some members of the homeless community we want them to meet or yeah. some of our, you know, formerly homeless employees who are now homed. And, um, and yeah, and, they, and George Clooney was amazing. And he was doing selfies with everyone. And he was just so charismatic and inclusive. And Leonardo DiCaprio was just wonderful and did an event at Vesta, um, the restaurant. And, and then Harry and Meghan was something that just completely, I think once we'd done all those things, we were on the radar a bit, yeah. I guess, if you were going to Google like good things to visit in Scotland yeah. or something. And on their first trip to Scotland, um, like a month before they got married, that Buckingham Palace got in touch and said, 
Harry and Meghan would like to come and visit Social Bike. Can we organise this, please? Bucket and Dallas got in touch. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, okay. Apparently the email came from like something like Buckingham Palace at something or, or whatever. It was very strange. Um, so uh, so that was really cool. That just came to us and they were wonderful. I was not someone that grew up appreciating the royal family at all. <laughs> but I think if you're going to meet any of them, Harry and Meghan are the cool ones to oh, meet, right? Absolutely, oh my goodness. Yeah, and Harry was like frustrated to the point of like almost angry about homelessness. Mm-hmm. Obviously coming from the background he's come from, it doesn't make any sense to him. And he was, like, really animated talking about it with us. Like, he really understood the problem. Like, these people are, you know, well-educated and oh, have seen a lot of the world. And I think it kind of gave me a bit more respect, certainly for him and Megan. And Megan was t- chatting to me about the soup kitchens that she volunteers at in L.A. and and how difficult the problem is on Skid Row in L.A. Mm-hmm. And just in general, they just have, like, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands, I think, people that, you know, just live in this awful awful and just don't have any of the support that we have here yep. and so I was learning from her about that stuff and yeah they were just really really um cool it felt like I told people after that it felt a bit like 3 a.m after being at the club with your student pals like Ooh. 10 years ago discussing like why the world is the way that it is that's what it felt like with them too like they were really cool and really down to earth Amazing. surprisingly down to earth maybe that's why he attracted Megan I don't know but um that was really cool. And then, yeah, Rob Bryden, again, like, pay him his fee. He'll come host the evening. So, you know, these things aren't as difficult as you think that they are. You just, I guess, Social Bike got lucky because the business awards, so we built up that credibility. Brilliant. Yeah, so that that's how we've basically done all of that. And David Williams, I just, I don't have to, it doesn't seem like I'm going to have to, you know, pay him any fee, like he's, which is great because I don't have any bloody money <laughs> for the We Sleep Out. It's a much smaller project. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's just, we sent him... A letter we gave the agency a phone call we then emailed and then we sent him a box with all of these different pictures of the sleep out last year and explaining how 10 minutes of his time would have impact on potentially more than 10,000 kids which is his demographic so yeah we got a new back from them last night like yeah this this sounds good like let's try and get this done so I can't that, confirm it but it sounds sounds yeah like I hope that works out he's a that's a really good fit and yeah it'd be so good yeah it would be but maybe don't write it they, people listening to this podcast will know they'll have the inner the inner, the inner scoop, scoop but don't write it anywhere because we'll we'll launch it properly in October we'll do some teasers and stuff on social media oh, so you heard it here first <laughs> so Alice you are an amazing woman you've got a, such an amazing story to tell you and the rest of the social bike team Josh you have like absolutely nailed it and you continue to do these massive things which are helping people now around the globe yeah we're trying we're really trying we're trying to be really responsible with everybody's trust and everybody's money and we're just we we just want the world to be a bit better for people who are struggling so well but like you said earlier on when the world gets better for people who need the support everything gets better yeah because these people rise and everyone else rises and it's just so, and that is why Social Bite are the partner of the GGC, so that we give £2 for every sign-up yes, to Social Bite. Yes, of course, Bite. have we so, not mentioned that yet? So that, but that is something that I just want to keep doing, because I just feel like you're actually making, a, like, a tangible, mm-hmm. visual difference, <laughs> which is amazing. So That's I can't so thank cool. you enough for taking the time. 
speak to us. Oh, no, not at all. It's been lovely to have an excuse to drive out today. And <laughs> I'm going to drive back and tell the staff how lovely it was to be here. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's so nice what I'll send you the link. Amazing. Thank right, well, you. thank you so much, Alice. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.